This show is dedicated to the brave warrior Talison Mirdin Namkai Miche. Oh my God, I am so excited. I, I think I'm going to cry. I have to tell you, Gabby has made me manager of Paris Green. Oh, I can't even tell you. I, I'm waving my hand in front of my face to cool myself down. Oh. Do you know what First Friday is here in Ashland, Oregon? All the galleries open up. Everybody's partying. People are drinking wine. They're eating cheese and crackers. They're just having a good time. That is what Paris is all about. So now we are jumping on the first Friday bandwagon and I've earned myself manager of Paris Green. I'm so excited. Please come in first Friday in May, 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon, right downtown. Check us out on Facebook too. See you then. Mark. Hi, Mom. What are you doing? I'm Mark. You play cards today. Did you win or lose? I lost. How much did you lose? $5.50. Holy cow, you were throwing down hard today. Aha, uh-huh, I were. So how often do you win versus how often do you lose? I don't know. Oh. What's the most you've ever lost? Something around that amount, maybe. What's the most you've ever won? Um, maybe in that department, too. Okay. And what is the game you're playing? Pan. Pan. Yeah. How are you feeling? Really tired. I was sitting in the chair sleeping. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I just sort of dozed off. Is Dad sleeping, too? No, Daddy's right here. You want to talk to him? Sure. I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah, hold on. Okay. Uh, How you doing? I'm okay. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, okay. Not bad. What's happening? You know, I went to the ER last weekend, right? Right. Well, I've had nothing but cramping and nausea all week. So I called the doctor's office. I said, I still feel terrible. Uh, yeah. And my hernia is bugging me too. My yeah. new, My new one. They said, well, we'll make an appointment for you to see the surgeon. I go, well, how about an appointment to just go get some blood drawn? Start there. Can we just draw some blood? Yeah. Uh, they said, yeah. So I went and did that this morning, and my blood came back perfect. So, oh, good. Yeah. Actually, I'm curious to see what my cholesterol is. They didn't give me that number yet. I have a feeling that's, you know, being a vegan, it's like you're eating such a clean diet. Yeah, right. But that doesn't account for this other stuff. So I guess I'm waiting for a call again from the surgeon to go see him. And now that I guess they have a record of me going to the ER last week, Maybe they'll fix yeah. all three of my hernias now. Oh, I hope so. Now, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying maybe they will. Yeah. So I'm going to go see Dr. Heisterman again and uh, see what happens. Now, what is he, just a regular doctor? He's not a He's a general surgeon. Oh, he's a surgeon? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I need some repair work done anyway. Right. See, this is the thing. I'm not sure, but I have an inkling that it's possible that whatever's the problem with my stomach has to do with this new hernia because they happened at the same time. Oh, okay. So I don't know if I'm leaking something into my gut from my intestines, which is why I have a problem, or what? Nobody knows? Nobody knows. So, there you go. Well, they should give you a complete checkup to find out. Well, what does that mean? 
I don't know. Okay. Well, neither do they, evidently. You know, well, they should know more than I do. They should know more than both of us do, yeah. But you know something? When I talk to these people, I don't feel like they do. I mean, they obviously do know more about things, but it doesn't feel like they've got any... They care. Well, it is a little laissez-faire attitude about the whole thing. I mean, they were very sweet with me on the phone today, but when I had to request a blood test, I feel like, what do you people do? Isn't this supposed yeah. to be your area of expertise? You guys make, you know, well over $100,000 a year as doctors because, and you're the only profession where I got to call you by this dignified title that they've earned. But when in fact you're sick and they're not doing anything for you, I don't feel like calling someone, hey, doctor. I feel like saying, hey, Bob, why the fuck am I sick? Right. What's wrong with exactly. me? Exactly. They asked me what surgeon I wanted to see. Fortunately, I did have someone that I wanted to work with only because of Zoe and Sam and the previous experience we've had with this guy and me. All three of us yeah. have seen this surgeon. All three of us have seen this guy. And he's the only guy I know that does this stuff. So why would you yeah. ask me who I want to see as if I'm at a racetrack picking fucking horses on a form? That's for sure. Anyway, the whole thing, uh, yeah. the whole thing's stupid. It's ridiculous. So I did. I took the bus. I got my blood checked. Took the bus back. I called them. They didn't call me. I called them at 2.30. I said, hey, do you have some results? They go, oh, yeah, they just came in. <laughs> like, how convenient <laughs> is that? Just now? Like, just now? So she said, yeah. your blood's great. And I said, okay. And I know they wanted to do a blood test anyway because I haven't had a blood test in years. And since I had cancer, they probably want to just keep an eye on my shit. So I said, right. uh, hey, what's my cholesterol? They said, oh, did we order a cholesterol test? I said, well, you told me that you were going to have things checked since we were pulling it out of my body. You were going to have it all looked at. They said, oh, yeah, we did order uh, a cholesterol check. We haven't gotten that back, so we'll call you back, which yeah, they haven't called me back. So. <laughs> so that's what's going on here. I got stomach ache, and I'm eating my way through it. It's like, fuck it. I went and got myself two vegan donuts from the coffee place, and I ate those, and they were delicious. Yeah. Well, I think I have to be not good so I can get this taken care of. I needed to go to the ER, and I had to go anyway. I didn't like what was happening to my stomach. It was too much cramping. Right. And it's certainly nothing I'm eating because I eat a super clean diet, so there's nothing going in me that's problematic. So. Right. So that's it, and I'm uh, and I'm, I'm putting the show together and hopefully going to get it up by uh, first thing tomorrow morning. Okay, well, have fun with it. Thanks, Dad. I love you. Tell Mom I love her, I love too. You. Mark says he loves you. I love you, too. And she loves you, too. Okay, you guys have a great rest of your evening. You, too. Okay. Bye. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 38. Six away from 44. Don't know what that show's going to be yet, but I know who I would like it to be, and I actually wrote their name down on a piece of paper, and I'm hoping that some miraculous course of events so far, things have happened, and I've been introduced to people who have surfaced and things through stuff. And we'll see what happens. I, I, I have no idea who's going to be on show number 44. And if I did, I wouldn't tell you anyway, because I'm going to keep it a secret 
from everybody. Uh, on today's show, we have Asha Deliverance. Asha owns a company called Pacific Domes. I'm not going to say much about her because she tells everything about most of that uh, in our chat. I'm not well. I got stomach cramps every night. Uh, I'm eating my way through it anyway because I it's either a stomach flu or this new hernia is leaking some stuff out of its thing into my other places and it's causing uh, quite a bit of discomfort. But you know what? I'm just going to go with the flow as it were. Keep on going. Keep on keeping on until the break of dawn. What is your last name? Deliverance. Is that your given last name? My family last name on my father's side is Van Olfen. He's Dutch. He's from Holland and had such an accent you wouldn't be able to understand him. And my mother is from Argentina. I'm a firstborn. My older brothers and sisters were born in Argentina, so they moved to the United States. I was born in 1955. The Dutch aunties spoke Dutch to my father. My mother and father spoke French to each other. And they spoke Spanish to the children and then decided to change to English after I was born. So somehow my first language, I don't even know which one it is, you know, between all of those. I speak a little Spanish because we learned it in school, but I think I just got really confused. It was probably just, you know, maybe a brain opener, but not really. I didn't really learn at all. So you were born here? Born in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco okay. area. When did you come to Ashland? I moved to Ashland in 1980. And I moved here with a group of people specifically to live the Southern Oregon lifestyle and bring the geodesic dome world to Southern Oregon. How did that even occur to you? When I was young, I decided that the best thing you could do to make the world a better place was to be an organic farmer. So I studied organic farming at the university in Santa Cruz. I was one of the co-founders of the farm at the University in Santa Cruz. It's the biodynamic French intensive farm that Alan Chadwick started. He was one of Rudolf Steiner's direct students. So that was in 1969-70. We were all there digging raised beds, starting beehives, building goat stanchions for milking goats, building a big barn for all the hay. We had draft horses. We actually did everything with out machinery because that was a Steiner quality of farming. And we planted subtropical orchards and huge urban flower gardens. It was quite a lovely experience to be there. And we made teepees to live in. So that's how I began making structures. Oh, okay. When I was younger, I went to college at a alternative college that had a course, probably the first course in geodesic dome building. Oh, what I, college was it? Pima College in Tucson. It was um, an alternative college, probably the first in the nation. They pulled teachers in from all over the country to teach there. It was probably about 68 it started. My mother taught there. What was she teaching? Um, She taught English as a second language. And she was a pretty creative person. So to get a job there, you couldn't just be an average person. She, you had to be, you know, they picked teachers from all over the country. And they wanted ethnic diversity as well as the fact that she raised nine children. Nine children? Yes. When did that happen? She raised nine children and then got her master's in teaching. But her whole family were educators. And 
her mother was Avita Peron's right-hand social worker, and her wow. father was the ambassador to China for Argentina. So they came from a really well-educated, established family, and for her to be the only daughter of that family and four brothers who were all professors and heads of departments at universities, she couldn't live them down. How did she have time to get her master's with nine kids? Um, we all took care of each other, and I'm really good at getting things done. Where do you fit in the number? I'm number six, I think. So there's three younger than me. I think I had a really amazing upbringing, being in a big family. I loved it. We had a really creative family. Uh, there was a lot of altruistic idealism going on, conversations that were amazing. My one sister was into yoga. The other was into self-realization fellowship. My brother was going to Edgar Casey talks. And I just followed everybody around to whatever cool thing they were doing. And they were all into the science as well. So it wasn't just esoteric. There was a lot of science behind it all. And some cool projects where my father was in herbalism. He helped make the standard process vitamins with Dr. Lee. He helped build the electromagnetic engine with F. Gray. He was a, a chemist beyond, you know, he had like five degrees from Zurich in chemistry. Because he was from a wealthy Dutch family, and they schooled in Zurich. So what happened with him was World War II broke out, and him and his younger brother went to Argentina because they're pacifist, and they didn't want to be around the whole war zone. I think it wasn't from a Jewish family, but they just wanted to get out of Europe and not be around the war. It's counterintuitive to intelligence. War is. And can I just make one statement? Of course. If we didn't spend 60% of our energy in this nation on war, just think how happy everyone would be. I've said this almost every single show. It's so obvious. All these resources that we use for destruction and conquering and turn it back on ourselves to take care of each other. I can't even imagine what this world would even look yes. like, to be honest with you. I have no clue. Yeah, I, amazing. I, I speak to my children about this all the time. Just that one scenario of so priorities. So what is the key that's going to turn that lock and open the door so that we are free from the capitalist economic disaster we've created in this world. Well, I think it's very easy. You teach children from the get-go in school what is the responsibility of being a human being. Expose them to all the incredible untapped that were not shown. Real opportunity to express themselves and discover what this is. And then that all goes away because it has no place in a reasonable world where people are getting their fundamental needs met, mm -hmm. and they can be creative. That's all we want. Mm -hmm. The solutions are actually relatively simple. We just have to all agree at some point, and we need to be asked as humans, what do we want? What's most important to us? And if we can decide that we all want that together, well, then we'll all have what we want. Well, I've been involved in a lot of positive movements, from technologies to health, yoga, aquaponics, agriculture, relief work for refugee camps to potential homeless solutions. I've been involved in so many projects of, you know, just because of the company Pacific Domes and its orientation and also educational global solutions that are, you know, at our fingertips at this point with the technologies that we have. So in my view, it is education and that's primary it's primary that our educational system gives a better view of humanity to the youth and a more complete view. 
it's obviously we're still in the original paradigm of a military-based educational system, which is originally how our educational system began in this country. And we have not overcome that yet. But I feel that that's on the brink because we have the potentiality with virtual reality, with all kinds of other possibilities for an educational system that's much more global-reaching and with a greater global view of life. And I think that will solve a lot of our issues. But I actually think that our economic structure is too far along in its control mechanisms for there to be a simple solution. Do you know about Jeremy Rifkin? No. In Germany, they have hired him to completely redo their infrastructure. I'm actually excited about the potential of this. He is going to take this digital thing that we have and blow it out the way it needs to be, which means no more traditional electricity. Everything is a digital signal. It will power everything. We don't even need wires anymore. All that's going to be retrofitted, all our buildings. We've got about two decades worth of work to do, so there'll be plenty of jobs. And he's doing it now, and they literally they've hired him to do this, make this transition for them. And China, too, believe it or not, China is spending billions of dollars to go in the direction that I'm hoping we end up following just to save our own face. So I do see things that I've never seen before, and I'm super stoked. Just like the work you're doing with Pacific Domes, I know there's a lot of incredible opportunity to show people a different way to do all kinds of things. Yeah, I'll just give a couple of my ideals. One of them I'm calling Terraforma, and that is to create small, sustainable communities in all kinds of biosphere locations around the planet with maybe 30 to 100 people, depending on where it is and what wants to happen. We're not just sustaining ourselves in these communities, showing that we can live anywhere on the planet in a desert and still be sustainable, grow our own food because all these technologies are there. But we also are regenerative and that we're giving back in some way, either planting lavender, polonia trees, or river restoration, or some kind of a progress for the environment. And that project, I've spoken to David McConville. He's the president, or he was the president of Buckminster Fuller Institute. So he was working with the design challenge, the Buckminster Fuller Design Challenge applicants for many, many years. And all those applicants have amazing projects that they've outlined that could help create sustainability on this planet. So we talked about putting all of them into a database where they're grouped into different curriculum so they can work together in these Terraforma projects. So we're trying to figure out ways to optimize what has been organized already by many people, you know, to bring it forward and help give them a little bit more of a platform. That's number one. Number two is the educational thing. I'll tell a little story. So we got a phone call, it was about 20 years ago, from a kid who was about 24 at the time. He was a inventor, creative guy in San Francisco, Travis. Travis calls up and he's like, I really want to test this brand new projector I made inside of one of your domes. And I was like, well, where are you? I'm in San Francisco. Hey, talk to my son. You guys are the same age and maybe he'll drive down there. 
I put my son on the phone. Christopher drives down to San Francisco to meet with Travis. They put up the dome, put the projector in it, and love what they see so much that they decide to start Obscura Digital. So that's the grassroots beginning of Obscura. We rented a warehouse on Bryant Street for them, and they operated out of that warehouse for about 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And then they moved over to Tennessee Avenue. They're in San Francisco still, but just a few blocks further away toward the marina water area. And recently, and their company has evolved so much with all of you know, the media projecting walls. They did the Empire State Build with endangered species. They projected on the Vatican. They did the Salesforce wall with waterfalls coming down. You know, what would be a plain warehouse to work in all of a sudden just came to life with forests and waterfalls. This is Travis's early technology blown out? Well, they've developed their whole company together. So um, the, the immersive environments were Travis's projector. That was the beginnings. They've evolved their company, and they got the attention of Madison Square Gardens in the last year because they want to do these concert venues that will change the way we do concerts. And they have a a plan to build out 800 different concert venues around the world using large domes. Not my dome that I build, which is a steel tubing frame with, with architectural fabric covering. These domes will be sound, solid architecture with the seating going up the walls and, you know, more like a huge amphitheater. Anyway, their project got so intertwined that Madison Square Gardens basically realized that they are the core designers and builders of this new venue. So they, so now Obscura is owned by Madison Square Gardens and they just did their launch last week. Type in Madison Square Garden. And what you'll see there is one of our domes because they use our little projection dome to show proof of concept of what they plan to do in the larger domes. So it's pretty fun. But why I brought that up, my greater vision on having these large domes would be for educational purposes. Not as big as the concert venue, but maybe something a little bit smaller at every university. When students from all over the world go in basically like a Google Earth, you know, where it's inside out and they can see their curriculum. Like if you're studying biochemistry and there's biochemical issues in anywhere in the world, it'll show up as a light. And you can go in and start collaborating with kids from all over the world to create solutions. And of course, that would go into every aspect of curriculum. So if it's education, it would be you know, solutions toward education, if it goes whatever direction it goes. University kids, first off, will map out their regions. So it'll put all awareness of the world in the world, all over the world of what's going on. It'll also bring awareness to solutions to a global scale. So no longer are we coming up with a solution here and a different one in China and a different one over there because of the way that they're disconnected and also taught to be competitive. So this is one of the biggest drawbacks of human evolution, the patent attorney's office. They made more money on the fact that they said that if you are the first one to patent this idea, it is now yours. And when they said that, they got bombarded with people 
who needed to patent their great ideas. Not only did they make a lot of money, but they got a lot of really good ideas. And God only knows what's going to happen with those beautiful ideas. So anyway, let's not be stupid people. We're not sheeple. We're people. And we need to take back our dignity. We need to take back our honor. And we need to take back our world. And the question is how, because... There's such an economic military involved at this point that it appears as though it's unsurmountable. So I'll go to my next subject, which is a little bit more on the spiritual note. So recently, my youngest son died. Um, This is eight months ago, nine months ago. He got on a train in Portland and there was a white supremacist man verbally battering uh, two young girls on the train, one wearing a hajib, Muslim girl, and an African-American girl. And my son stood up along with two other men. Uh, The man pulled his knife, and my son was killed, and the 56-year-old army vet, after 25 years in the military, who was running for city council, also lost his life, and a young boy was injured, but he's still alive, and thank God he's doing pretty good. Anyway, this incident was obviously reversed a really downward trend since our last election, which was only six months prior that Trump came into office. There had been a a really almost a permission given to the alt-right supremacist, you know, anybody with prejudices to speak up and to act out. And my son and Ricky Best, the other man that died, and Micah Fletcher, who has suffered greatly over this tragedy, they basically all stood up. They stood up to reverse that trend and fill the void created by the hatred and bigotry with love and compassion and caring and real humanness. So I consider his passing to be a celebration. And I know enough about life on the other side and also have received a lot of messages from various people who are able to hear and see the other side to know that he's doing really well and that he was received with great celebration for his accomplishment and his deed. I'd call it an accomplishment because, you know, there was something accomplished. And um, why I'm bringing this up is because on the 16th day after he passed away, he came to me in a dream and he said, I have to leave now. And I felt my heart. And he said really quickly, this is his style, put on your rainbow clothes. Take my ashes to the Vajrasattva Stupa. I'm going to disappear into rainbow light. And I was taking a nap at that moment, about to go over close to where the Buddhist monastery was to a garden party where there was a big iris garden that was all in bloom. And a bunch of my friends who were related to Talishan, the godfather, and dear friends who were all with me when we cremated him, they all wanted me to go with them to this iris party. So I woke up from the nap called them up and they were in my driveway already ready to pick me up and I was in tears I was like he just said this and get in the car grab your rainbow scarves let's go and we drove over there and on the porch of the iris party 
was the monk who happened to be in Portland and said prayers while we were doing the cremation. And I told him the dream, and I said, where is this Vajrasattva stupa? I can help you with that, he said. So we all went down there. I'd brought some ashes of Talisha from his cremation, and we all drove the half a mile down to the Buddhist monastery, and we went to the Vajrasattva stupa, said some prayers, and the whole time it was like this mist, rain happening, and we were all getting wet and bundled up in jackets and whatnot. And as soon after we said all the prayers, the purification prayers and the beautiful Buddhist prayers, the monk put the ashes into the little Buddha cave in the stupa. And all of a sudden, a patch of sunlight came out. And everyone looked up and were like, wow. And the the monk says, very auspicious, a shower of flowers. What does that mean, Matthew? That means it's raining and the sun is shining. But where's the rainbow? And we looked everywhere, and we couldn't see the rainbow. But there were several people who knew we were going there who didn't come with us, and they were out in different areas, and they took pictures of the rainbow launching right out of the stupa. We just couldn't see it. And it was prophesied on that land when it was inaugurated in 1980 by High Rinpoche that many people would achieve their rainbow light body on that land. And in the Buddhist teaching... If you die and you achieve your rainbow light body, it creates a resonance where an actual rainbow does appear. And so now all of you can go and talk about rainbows and all the rainbows you've seen when people have died and you've been at the wake ceremony or whatever, because there's a lot of stories I've heard since the story of people seeing rainbows when they bring the ashes to different places and whatnot. But when you see a rainbow, it means not just the person who died, but a whole group of people. It's like a collective. All are liberated together. That's what it says in the Buddhist ancient text. So I wanted to share that with your audience. Also correlate it with what I consider to be a solution for our time right now. So I'll tell you another little story because I'm a storyteller. So this is, I think, 2002 There was a big festival called Earth Dance International. It's celebrated in probably 180 cities and maybe 75 countries. So simultaneous celebration on World Peace and Prayer Day, UN-sanctioned World Peace Day. And we would do a, a ohm circle at every event at the same time. So whether it was four in the morning and... New Zealand, or we don't know how many people were involved in that synchronization, but we figure probably like 50,000 minimum, probably more like 100,000, because our local event was about 10,000, and that was in Laytonville, California. Anyway, during that event, we were creating a theme, and the theme that year was the wisdom of the elders, and they invited the 13 grandmothers to come and talk, and there were a lot of shamans teachers from other countries, Fumi Stewart from Japan, uh, Guatemalan shaman, Barbara Marks Hubbard was there, and Ina Mae Gaskin from the farm in Tennessee. Those were the American women, but there was a lot of ethnic women from other countries. And um, someone didn't show up. And the organizer of Earth Dance was a friend of mine, Chris Decker. And I used to run the second stage, and he ran the main stage, and he came running to me. Asha, so-and-so didn't show up. Could you please 
be the 13th grandmother. You can represent the hippie tribe. And so I slid in as the 13th grandmother. And each of the grandmothers had five minutes to speak. And there was some beautiful, heartful messages that were spoken. And when it came to me, when I was younger, I used to go to these channeling gatherings where you where a group of people would sit in a circle and one person would speak and then say, and now so-and-so is going to speak. And just then you were getting the little shiver down your spine and realizing that you had a message. And we would go around the circle like that and watch that magic unfold of what it means to channel with a bunch of people. And so I knew what that sense was that was shivering down my spine right then. So when I stood up, I said, my name is Asha, but that's not who's going to speak to you today. And then all of a sudden, I am the Divine Mother, and I am going to speak to you today. We are building a new earth, a new world built in peace and love. And during these transitional times, you must call upon the beings of light who are here to assist you. You must call upon them during these times, and they will come and be there at your aid. So that's my message. Call upon the beings of light, because at this moment, if we all call upon the beings of light to ask for a major shift and transformation in the structure that is now controlling this planet, to transform to a structure that is divine, as is the birthright of this planet. Whenever anything comes to your consciousness, you might be sitting at a nice restaurant eating a nice meal and look at the paper and there you see, you know, something that's not harmonious. The first thing you would want to do is take a moment. Just take a moment to address that thing because every day, all day long, all of us have the opportunity to raise and shift. Raise the consciousness and shift the reality because the physical universe is born directly from consciousness. Yeah. And I can tell you the physics of how that works. I also teach physics. I work with Nassim Haramein. I'm one of his emissaries. I also study pre-Vedic physics and I correlated the two of those. And at some point when I have time, I will make a nice video or write a book or something so people can understand how simple it is. But basically, I'm just going to tell you this. The great progenitor of this physics, who also brought the pyramids to this planet, was a man named Mayan. And he wrote 16,000 years ago and 26,000 years ago, big fat textbooks on building flying ships and generators and pyramids and architecture and music and language. So according to the sutras, he came from the great central sun to spawn this planet with higher consciousness and higher awareness. And his work was prevalent all over the planet. I have a teacher. He actually passed away a few years ago, but he went all over the planet to show that Mayan had been in all these places and taught because he could tell every measurement according to the Mayan science of every sacred temple and every pyramid to show that this was all a science of basically taking the blueprint of when the atom is formed and you holographically watch it grow eight times eight times eight because that's the frequency of growth 
It's 8 by 8 64. 64 bit came from? Yeah, you bet. Okay. 64 everything. 64 trigrams in the, the I Ching, 64, 64 DNA, gene codes. And Zarathustra developed the chess game to show the dynamic forces of the universe because that science was known at that point, you know. So anyway, this goes way back. I actually sat with a Mayan shaman and mapped out what the inside of the pyramid was about. And he told me I was absolutely correct, just showing all the colors and the layout of the inside of the pyramid because Mayan talked about it in his physics. It's basically just a still shot of a dynamic of physics of the birth of the atom, the birth of Earth. And it's scalable from the smallest minute particle all that we call the Planck all the way to galactic levels. So the same dynamic is found. And that's why in the Taoist traditions, they say the micro and the macro both hold the same key. That key being could be called chi or energy. Mayan says that there is no deviation anywhere from perfection. So if you think of how the unified field births through the singularity and starts forming what we call the physical universe, there's a lot that happens before it becomes visible to our eye. And if the NASA physicist said, if you took a string and wrapped it around the Earth, only one inch of that string would be the physical universe. The rest is existence that we don't experience with our five senses. But we do experience it with our inner sense because we are connected. Our soul and the singularity or the soul, the one we are all connected at that point. And that's why it's so erroneous that we have war on this planet, because that's such a basic understanding to gain our unity. And if you understand the physics, you would get it. But even if you don't understand the physics, we're standing we're, on the same piece of real estate. We're connected. Absolutely. People don't even look at that. Yep, I mean, we're absolutely. not talking science or spirituality. We are literally connected to each other. Yep, that's right. It's not so. Maybe if we all took our shoes off, we'd get the point more. Well, I think there's something to the fact that we have separated ourselves (laughs) from our natural environment. Well, let me finish what I was going to say. He says that there's no deviation from perfection anywhere but in the physical universe. There's a potential here for a deviation. Hence, we see the maya. Hence, we see um, the the potential for distortion because the human consciousness as co-creators has the capability to take what is perfection vibrating through them every moment from your source and your soul and distort that. So reprogramming the human mind is essential for us to flip the switch to have an enlightened world. If you take your shoes off and you live on a piece of land with a bunch of people, you will find that there is more connectivity than you will experience in any other environment all of a sudden, it's family. And everyone experiences that. You know, I mentioned earlier, I was at the UCSC Farm Project. So we progenated that program. But every year, they pump out 35 apprentices who go through the program, and they spend about 10 months there. All of those apprentices will tell you the same thing every year. The most important thing they learned was creating community. It's not how to do soil amenities or how to grow more crops per square inch. It's not that. It is how to create community. 
And that is the most important, essential thing to the human soul. So why are we going in the wrong direction? And that's the vow of the Bodhisattva. You stay here and do your best to help everyone that you meet, you know, to address every situation that comes to you. And so I was going to explain that. If you're sitting at the table at a restaurant and you see some discordant news fly by, for instance, the last uh, couple of days we had more shootings in a school. So what do you do with that information? How do we process that? It's overwhelming. I think that the numbing is actually a shutting down where something that's out of resonance with divine order, you know, because we all know what goodness is. We all know what heaven is. We all know what that feels like. And we all know what, what a perfect world we can sense that. We have a feeling about it. And what does that feel like? It obviously isn't some of the things we're experiencing right now. So when those discordant appearances come to you, what all the spiritual masters will tell you is this. You don't focus on that other than to pray about it. You drop it and you go into a divine state of perfection where you now become a portal for high resonance to enter the field of consciousness to bring any discordant view into perfect resonance. They say that spiritual healing is revealing the true nature of reality. It's not fixing it because ultimately there's a perfection and we need to go back in and tune in to that perfect. Remember. Thank you. I love you. You got it. Okay. But again, we're that not, being said, we're not talking to our children about these things. No. So they're not talking to their friends about them. Yeah. So they don't know. Well, now yoga and mindfulness is becoming another big movement in the yeah. schools. So in the late 60s, early 70s, there was an ashram at every corner and everyone was meditating together and doing yoga together. And the kids are all on fire about yoga. There's eighth graders. They're practicing yoga at home because they know when they go to high school, they get to do yoga and they yeah. want to be good at it. So cool. And to slip in just, you know, the calmness and the centeredness of what it means to be mindful, to go back to that place of quiescence where things are in harmonic resonance and to allow that to come forward into this physical world and correct and bring into harmony all that is out of harmony. That is really the kind of thing that we as a collective can do. All of us can do. We're, we're not powerless to do that. We might be powerless to walk into the White House and say, you're fired or I'm taking over. I kind of have a, a little vision that I want to start a 13 grandmother run for president thing. My idea, which is along what you just said, is if you have a team of advisors who love humanity, love us and want the best for us, and are the experts in healthcare, in environmental studies, in farming, in everything. Those are the people that we want. We need to build a panel of those that we Absolutely. love and trust to guide us in our experience. Yep. And that's really it. And then we should be making all our I agree decisions. with you 100%. And um, you know who brought that to my attention was Daniel Sheehan. He was the lawyer that brought Nixon down. He is very active with the Native American program. He's been real instrumental, top-notch lawyer in there, doing really good things. He did indict some of the people around the Bush second election when the polls were jacked right. and whatnot. So he's been, he's been an activist out there actually doing some good things. But he created a thing, his terminology is new paradigm. And in the new paradigm, you would have a group of people, advisors from every department yeah. who would 
work equally together to make a decision of any kind. So you can't make a decision to build a nuclear plant over there unless you talk to the environmentalist and the water specialist. And this is where you get consensus. Mm -hmm. This is where you involve the world as the community. And they will make recommendations, but ultimately, we as a world community have to decide if this is the best way to go. We've hired the best people to show us what to do, and we do trust them. And you know now, too, that there's EMILY's List, a movement of women getting into office. And I just sat with somebody who was reviewing the changes that have happened that were positive around housing, because we've got so much homelessness. and. Low-income housing has become a difficult issue in many communities. There's a huge gap going on. There's people leaving this community. Yeah, exactly. And the only people who have tried to help fill that gap have been females in seats in high positions, like as mayor or... your mothers. That There's something that happens with the hormones to take care of people. So I think that it's essential to have more females. We need more nurturance in the society. We wouldn't have all of this mental illness and all of that of if course. we had more nurturance. Yeah, we need more love, man. More love, and more nurturance. Women are the birthplace of love because we come from you. I think we I, forgot about all this stuff. I birthed seven children and I actually helped birth over a thousand because I was a midwife so for a long time. And I trained midwives as well. I know about birth and for me it's the birth of this new earth. I'm all about it. I'm right with it. And my son, I feel like, is an inspiration to me. You know, he took that rainbow journey. He's in the light world, and he's orchestrating things from that side. And I just have a very positive feeling from him, excited and exuberant and elated sense of his work that he's doing over there and all the beings that he's working with. And I feel like good things are going to happen, and they're going to filter down to this level of existence we call the physical universe. You know, the major subject I've been speaking about lately was my son who passed away. That's a magic story behind that. It's not just a, somebody got killed by a white supremacist defending a Muslim girl story. It's greater than that. You know what? It's pretty amazing that your son was selected to represent. It's pretty magnanimous yeah. that he got to do the job. Yeah. And stood up and did the job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's I a would trade places with him in a minute, to be honest with you, yeah. because it's a good job he did. Yeah. All he, he had to do was stand up. Yeah. And he paid the ultimate price, but yeah. we also got the ultimate gift from that. Yeah. And and I know there's plenty of people on the planet that appreciated that he did what he did. It meant a lot to the Muslim community because they've been victimized in this country with Islamophobia. We spend well, I have heard from some high-level people that we spend trillions of dollars. Oh, yeah. More power to everybody. Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Asha. Much yeah, love thank to you. you and your family. And I appreciate you coming in and, thank and telling you. us some very intimate stories. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was really nice to have Asha here, and uh, she's such a great lady and clearly did a really amazing job uh, raising her son, and uh, there's not much else to say about that. I think we said a lot about it, and it's a lot to think about, and uh, and we got a lot on our plate as, uh, as a peoples here. We got some things. Remember she said, we're not sheeples, we're peoples, so we need to... We need to get these people moving in a different direction. 
opposite to where we're going. In some ways, of course. In other ways, I, we're right on course. Jeremy Rifkin, check him out. The Third Industrial Revolution. It's not BS, man. This guy's out there doing it. He's changing the world. He's changing the world for all of us. So we need to support this cat by figuring out what we have to do to make what he's doing happen here versus over there in Germany and China only. We need some of this Jeremy Rifkin business in our business. So there you go. Okay, uh, another one done and uh, always fun. And I really appreciate uh, your listening. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Please feel free to visit ahrensberg.com. Go to the podcast page and uh, click the donate button. Okay, word to your mother's uncle. To find out more about ASHA and Pacific Domes here in Ashland, Oregon, simply visit them online at pacificdomes.com. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Look up these three people. Edgar Casey, Jeremy Rifkin, Buckminster Fuller. The song at the tail end of the show is called Release by Random Rab with Cedar Jason Miller, who is Taliesin's godfather. Thank you, Jason. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44.
Uh, thank you, Robbie-san.